From the east side to the west, this is From the Land, the Cleveland Sports and More podcast. I'm your host, Jason Gerber, and tonight we change things up a little as we get ready for the start of a new baseball season. We are going to start the show on the court, talking all the hoops. After that, we are headed onto the diamond to talk Guardians one last time before the start of the 2023 season. We will close the show off the field and in the boardroom, talking Waystar Royco and the start of the final season of Succession. I am joined tonight by two of the best ever. My co-hosts, Phil Danko and Chuck Rambaldo are here. Fellas, can you smell the fresh-cut outfield grass of a new baseball season? Oh, yeah, baby. I smell it. It's upon us a matter of days now. I cannot wait. I played infields. So unlike you two screwballs, oh, come on. <laughs> can I just say, I can equate it to the sound of cleats on cement is one of my favorite sounds on earth. Yeah. yeah so how yeah, about I could yeah. hear that? Yeah. There All you right. Go. I appreciate you not taking the opportunity to mention that maybe the reason you can't smell it is because I broke your nose <laughs> That's 20 no. years ago. <laughs> I can't smell the fresh cut outfield grass because my town got six inches of snow this weekend. Uh, and so all I can smell is more winter, apparently. But we are going to leave that there. We're going to have some fun talking baseball tonight. But we are going to start on the court. We are going to start with our sip of wine and gold, our weekly Cavs recap. And right now, headed towards the playoffs, the Cavs are hotter than a sauna in Alabama. Cavs dominated the Nets Tuesday night, then came back Thursday for a March Madness-style late comeback to beat the Nets again. Tonight, the Cavs came home and cruised to an easy win over the Houston Rockets. Cavs finished the week 48-28 and with a stranglehold on the four seed and clinching a playoff spot after tonight's win. Scale of 1-5, to five, one being Drapier Champagne. Just this side of two flirty, a bubbly number with hints of desperation and cellulite finishes sloppy. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> five being muddy paw Similin. I don't know. Your guess is as good as mine. S-E-M-I-L-L-O-N from Grand River Winery in Madison. How would you rate the Cavs this week? I don't know if I've done it all season, but I'm I'm going all the way up, man. I'm at, at a five this week. Three and oh, clinched playoffs. I don't know what their ceiling this is, is this year, but they're a flawed team, but they don't they don't have to be flawless. Now at this point. Getting in the playoffs, you just got to outwork another team four out of seven games, man. So hope springs eternal, except if you're in Ludington where there's snow. I'm at a five. <laughs> First of all, I'd like to take this opportunity to, to say thank you. I, I feel educated every week on this podcast. I had no idea saunas were hotter in Alabama than anywhere else. That's that's amazing. I don't know. <laughs> the understand hottest that, but... thing I could think <laughs> yeah, of right a, now. That's, that's fantastic. It's good to know. But I, I'm with Chuck, man. It's a five this week. Last week, we were hoping for two and one, given the way the schedule w- worked out again. And we got three and oh. They beat the Nets that first game like they should have. They kind of had the lead most of that game. The second game, it looked like, all right, they're just, they just don't have it tonight. And then they, the amazing rally at the end of that game was awesome. It felt like, you're right, it felt like an NCAA tournament game, especially a guy like Isaac Okoro to hit that game winner. Like, all right, that's yeah. the, not the guy you thought would be hitting that shot. Uh, and then they dominated a, a Rockets team as they should have today. So they took care of business as we hoped for. They cemented that fourth seed this week. I, I think 
you saw a ton of good stuff this week too. So you, you, you got to love it. It was a three and a week, five out of five uh, in my book for sure. I don't know if I want to go all the way to a five. The Nets are not I- winning. <laughs> <laughs> the, the Nets are not winning a lot of games right now. Houston's pretty bad, but it was a good week. And a lot of what surrounded what they were doing was good too. I mean, the Knicks lost three times this yeah, week. Crazy. And crazy. that really, really helped the Cavs get a hold of that, that four seed right now. It's pretty exciting that this is the first time they've clinched a playoff since 18 and the first time they've done it without LeBron since 1998. I didn't get a chance today, but I wanted to look up like the roster from 98 because I think that might have been like a Sean Kemp team. Like Danny Z- Ferry. Zadrunas <laughs> had to be on that team, right? Zadrunas was on was still around. Yeah. yeah. Danny yeah. Ferry. Yeah. Zadrunas. Exactly. Ugh. Boy. Well, Batali this guy. Davis, Topico. Was Ricky Davis on that team? He might have been. been. Yeah. He might have been. Yeah. See, I feel a lot better about the 2022-2023 version of the Cavs than the 97-98 version. So, yeah, I'm at a 4.75. It was pretty great, man. It's a good week and just a lot of good things happening for Cavs basketball right now. But look back again to that comeback win on Thursday night where they were down late and able to string together some defense and some scoring to pull that one out at the very end. We have seen them so many times this year unable to close out close games like that, especially against good or decent teams. How important was it for the Cavs to get a win like that on Thursday night? You know, going into the playoff run, I think it was very important because that's that's going to happen in a series. You, you know, you're gonna you're gonna get into a couple close games where you just have to feel confident like they did inexplicably almost dishing the ball to a wide open Isaac Okoro, <laughs> you know, like that's, but they need, yeah. they need to have that confidence in the, in the uh, starting five. And that was good to see. And and the way they got there too, Mobley had a ridiculous end of that game. And he ended up with like, like 16 boards and uh, 26 was, and 16. We're going to get yeah. to yeah. it. Like, okay, well, there you go. Like that, yeah. that unlocks the possibility of what we saw unfold in that game, right? Like that, that guy's giving you extra possessions keeping it close or at least making a run in the last four minutes of that game to allow, again, a huge confidence, but not that they needed the confidence, but that's good to see because that might come into play in a, in a playoff series. It's huge for two reasons. And I'm not going to mention any of the superstars on the team. Oro hits that shot, right? Which is huge for that guy. <clears throat> and it's almost two weeks in a row against the Sixers when I might be wrong here, but I think he drove twice and got blocked twice against Embiid and then drove a third time. So I'm like, maybe this guy is not as scared or it's not too big for him. And and then he hits that shot, right? But Levert really like that defense he played for the last few minutes of that game. And then I saw growth. No hero ball there, man. Like he had the ball in his hands, found the open man, and everybody else is standing around with their mouths wide open. That dude's running towards the rim for a tip-in if he misses that. So I think it's huge. You're starting to see role players develop a little. And, man, I am buying Levert these past couple weeks. Like, he's been so impressive. But that's why I think it's huge. I'm not mentioning Garland. I'm not mentioning Mitchell or Mobley or Allen in that game. At the end, I'm I'm, I'm mentioning two guys that we've kind of poked and prodded at all season long. Yeah, I I love obviously seeing Okoro hit that shot. He's just a good kid and a player I think everybody wants to see do well. So I'm excited for the fact that he hit that. 
I just love the fact that they were actually able to put together four minutes at the end of the game and, and make a comeback and, and get back into it. I mean, the defense was unreal. They, they, they turned them over twice in a row to go yeah. down and get baskets to, to get it close. I mean, it was just all around nice to see them do that at the end of the game. I think my favorite part of Evan Mobley in that game was I think it's the first time I've ever seen him start to demand the ball, like get to the elbow, put up his hand, and he's like, nope, give it to me. I, I can take any of these guys. And I can get to the rim, and I can get a dunk, or I can get a layup, or I can get fouled. He was unreal. Uh, he was really good in that. He was good all week, but um, yeah. I mean, he's been good since Chuck said he wasn't. <laughs> but right. I mean, especially, I've just never seen him do that. And I think that that's so huge for that dude to get the confidence to say, nope, I know where we are in the game. I know what we need. I know what I can do. Give me the ball and I'm going to get us the basket that we need. That's really exciting because I think you're going to need somebody besides Garland and Mitchell to carry that kind of responsibility in the playoffs and to see him already be maybe capable of doing it at 21 years old. That's pretty awesome. Raise your glass. Toast your favorite calf of the week. We'll just start where we finished. Evan Mobley, 17 points, four rebounds Tuesday, 26 and 16 on Thursday, 19 and eight today. And I'm not sure if you watched today's game and saw the sequence where he, the Cavs missed a shot. He got an offensive yeah. rebound, kicked it out for a three. They missed it. He got the rebound again, kicked it out for another three. They missed it, got the rebound again, and just put it back and dunked it. Because he's like, I'm, I'm sick of you guys yeah. missing these shots. It was unreal. Do it myself. <laughs> yeah. Uh, next one, Donovan Mitchell, 31 points uh, in both games in Brooklyn and 22 tonight. Jared Allen had a double-double in every game this week. Isaac Okoro. Four points combined Tuesday and today, but <laughs> 11 points and the game winner we discussed on Thursday. So who's getting your toast this week? Who are you raising your glass to on the Cavs? I'm going to, I'm going to welcome back your man crush, Jared Allen and say, well, like, welcome back. Um, it's nice to have him there uh, and, and had a really good week, but I, I got to go with the guy that you continue to think I questioned a while ago. Uh, Mobley has been unreal best player on the floor today. Uh, and I don't know if that's saying much against Houston, but still all the stuff we've kind of already said leading up to this point, it's a great week going into the final week of the season and into the playoffs. This week was about the bigs and I'd love to see it. Both Mobley and Allen did exactly what this team needs them to do to make not only oh, great, we're in the playoffs, but make maybe a little bit of a run, maybe win a series, get, get into the playoffs a little bit. Those guys, as we've mentioned all year, they can be mismatch problems for any team when they're playing the way they played. And the way Allen played this week, two games with 14 boards, like that's ridiculous. Yeah. So I'm going to, I'm going to give my uh, toast to, to Jared Allen this week, but a, a honorable mention, because I'd be remiss because last week I said, we'd never get an opportunity to do this again, but <laughs> Karis Levert off the bench, man, every yeah. game this week, yep. double digits off the bench. One game, it was like 18. The rest of it was like 10 or 12, but Regardless, double digits off the bench. We need that guy doing that as we get into the playoffs. Yeah, I could have put Levert on the list. He either scores or he shows up as one of those guys who's doing all of like the little things and filling up an entire stat sheet with blocks and steals and assists and rebounds and stuff like that. I'm going with Allen. Just so nice to have that guy back. And, you know, we saw it last year when he got hurt and he came back and he wasn't as effective. I was a little bit concerned what he'd be like coming back. And 
he was great all week long. And I don't think there's any reason for us to worry. That guy's not going to keep producing. So my toast goes to my boy, Jared Allen. Next week, Cavs start the week in Atlanta Tuesday night. Then the Knicks come to town on Friday. And the week wraps up with the Pacers in the land on Sunday night. The Cavs' magic number to clinch the four seed now is all the way down to two. Which of your kids' lives are you willing to bet that the Cavs get it done this week? <laughs> wow. <laughs> and just so you know, the Knicks have the Rockets, the Heat, the Cavs, and the Wizards <laughs> this week. I'm having a hard enough time gambling with free money on betstamp.com. <laughs> I am not I am not gambling with either of my son's <laughs> lives. Uh, but I do feel the Cavs I, I do feel pretty good about it. Like I feel like the Cavs get it done this week, but I'm not but not, but not that good. No, 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 that seems too risky. I mean, I'm not one of those people, but I know a lot of people consider their animals their children. So if I'm betting any of the living beings in this house, I'll go with like the 10 year old chug that we have. Uh-oh. Uh oh. Just because, you know. Oh, man. I mean, I may, take one I may, for the team, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> if it gets to the Cavs win total that I was pushing that you guys thought I was crazy, I don't remember what it was. Was it 52? I think 50, they're going to get 54. There. Oh, oh yes. No, no, no. <laughs> well, mathematically, they still can. You're they not. They still can. <laughs> but yeah. Six and oh, they got it. Yeah. I don't think it's going to happen. But uh, yeah, I'll, I'll put, I'll put Sweet D up. I'll put the chug up to, to get to the magic oh, number. Man. That's awful. I would not bet any of the living. <laughs> You're the one who came up with the question. Was <laughs> a is a moral test, and you failed. Phil pass. Woo-hoo. <laughs> uh, I think they definitely get it done. I mean, I think it could it could happen before they even play the Knicks, because if the Cavs win Tuesday and the and the Knicks lose either the Rockets or the Heat, that's it. The Cavs are are now that four seed. So the hell of a season. For the Cavs, man, this has been a lot of fun, and I'm not even quite ready to be excited about the playoffs because I'm still having such a good time watching them play right now. But why don't we move on from the Cavs, and we're going to stay on the court and keep talking hoops, and I'm not ready to talk about the NCAA tournament yet because I think it's dumb. So (laughs) the NBA playoffs are taking shape in the East. The Nets and the Heat are now tied for the sixth spot. Which of those teams is a play-in team, and which team is a play-off team? The Nets are probably a play-in team, even though they haven't had a good last 10 games, the Nets. I know the, the Cavs handed them two losses, but they might be 3-7 and seven or 2-8, and eight, and the Heat are probably a little bit better. An always dangerous team uh, when it comes to playoff time, that Heat. So I think uh, the Nets are a play-in team. If that, I, I love that they were talking. Who was the guy, the idiot on the team talking shit, saying – We'll beat the Cavs in the playoffs. Which is like, all right, buddy. Like, yeah, yeah, it's enough. It's enough. Yeah, I agree. I, I definitely think Brooklyn is the play-in team. Um, yeah, they're, they're three and seven in the last ten. They're kind of in a free fall. They lost two games to. A, I mean, obviously the Cavs are much better than the, this current iteration of the Brooklyn Nets. But at the same time, like that was on their home court. They couldn't even get a win in those two games, and they've they're just losing. And I feel like the Heat. The Heat's that team that you know they're not crazy good but they're better than 500 kind of good you know so i think they supplant brooklyn in that sixth seed here in the next week three for three yeah i think the nets made a valiant run after the big trades but they just don't have enough reliable scoring to keep going whereas you know the heat have actually been playing right around 500 for a while now so you get why they've slipped all the way down to you know six or seven and they're even in the play-in discussion 
but I have a feeling they'll they'll be able to close it out in these last two weeks of the year, and they'll get into the playoffs. So let's move to the West. Uh, the Lakers currently are the nine seed, but because the West is the way that it is, the Lakers are also only two and a half games out of the four seed, and they got <laughs> LeBron back today. So are the Lakers a play-in or playoff team? I think they stay in the play-in group, although it's super close. I don't know that they're going to make up a lot of ground on even though it's close to Golden State or New Orleans or Minnesota. I, I think LeBron comes back, keeps them where they're at. I think they finish the season maybe maybe one game over 500 and kind of in that 7-8-9 range. I don't know. I just, I'm just looking at their schedule, right? So they have the Bulls, Timberwolves, and Rockets this week. It's not bad for them with LeBron coming yeah. off the bench, sixth man of the year probably, maybe. Um, it's like the only award he's never won (laughs) the Warriors were kind of like the Cavs early I don't know if they righted the show I know the Cavs have played much better on the road the past two months but the Warriors sucked on the road so I guess depends on schedule but I want to believe in uh, the Lakers so I'm going to I'm going to say they're they're a playoff team not a play-in team it is pretty jammed up and there are some good teams ahead of them but it's kind of a joke that they're two and a half games out of the four seed they're probably only a game and a half or a game out of the sixth seed to make the playoffs. And I think LeBron is, he took his three weeks of rest, you know, for whatever fake injury he had and, you know, <laughs> got his body taken care of and he's ready. I, I think that team's about to make a run. And so I'm going to go with Chucky too. I'm going to say that they are a playoff team coming up at the end of this season. We'll see what happens, man. They're going to be interesting. And God forbid if they are a play-in team, I can't imagine a team you want to play less in the play-in tournament than uh, than the Lakers at this point. They're, they're going to be pretty good. All right, so that's it for the NBA. I guess it, it has to happen now. Uh, March Madness has continued the NCAA men's basketball tournament, but who cares? It's the dumbest tournament ever. <laughs> so we're still not going to talk about it. Let's start with our Cat Tank standings, our annual tournament pool with all of our buddies. Our winner and loser are already in the books because no one else has any teams left in the tournament. The winner was decided today when Texas lost to Miami. Congrats to Tom Burke. He hates being on this show with us, but he loves picking winners. So congrats, (laughs) Tommy. Chucky, sorry, man. You were close. You were close. Finished second. The Cat Tank itself is coming home after a dominant losing performance. I think I led the losing wire to wire. I lost the first four games on the first day. I had zero points in the Sweet 16. I did not correctly pick a single team in the Elite Eight. My bracket is currently ranked in the lowest 4% of all ESPN brackets, which I feel means that there are a bunch of people out there who did like brackets with their like eight and nine-year-old kids just for fun, <laughs> and those kids are beating me. Welcome home, Cat Tank. Scale of one to five, one being Mike Tyson versus Buster Douglas, five being the Bulls' second three-peat. How would you rate my cat tank title defense this year? It's it's pretty close to a one. I mean, that's uh, is this the third or fourth time you're you're donning the cat tank? Something ridiculous, right? Like it's. I uh, think it's the third time in four years. Four, yeah, four, but there was yeah. like a COVID year in there. There was no tournament that year. I think yeah, I had to yeah. keep it. Okay, so three times though. I mean, it's. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe stop letting Gus take your your bracket and make the picks. <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know what to tell you. But in terms, I wish of the, I had. Yeah, the title defense from worst to first, and then first to worst, right? Like that's that's what happened here. Yeah, Congrats, yeah, man. Congrats. 
So I'm going to look at it a different way. Phil put it very eloquently. You go worst to first, massive achievement. First to worst, not that massive, right? And I, I've always said like, doesn't of, feel very massive. Of, of, the, of the brotherhood of all of us, I've always said you're the glue, and I think you do it to yourself to prove that I'm no better than anyone in this group, and I'm going to put myself out there to don this can't tank. And plus, I think you look pretty good in it, man. Like I think you, you pull it off. You, you pull do wear it off. well. You do wear it well. You guys are idiots. Uh, <laughs> I really want to win it so that I don't have to wear this stupid thing. But uh, I am looking forward to a giant piece of chicken being the trophy this year for Tommy. <laughs> That's going to be great. But I think we finally got to it. We've got to talk about the actual NCAA tournament. No one seeds made it out of the Sweet 16. Everybody's bracket sucks, not just mine. The final four is set, and nobody in the world would have predicted it. Florida Atlantic, notable alumni Scott Thompson a.k.a. Carrot Top. San Diego State, UConn, and Miami are your final four teams. Is there such a thing in the NCAA tournament as too many upsets? I don't know. It'll be interesting to see what kind of viewership they get in this final four. Does Does this draw more of the casual fan because it's a bunch of fours, fives, and a nine? Or... Is it like, all right, we don't have the blue bloods in this thing. I'm not turning this on. Like, who who are these guys? I don't know. So too many upsets could hurt the tourney, I guess. But I'm an, I enjoy it. I like it. I, I think it's great. It's what, the, it's what one and done is all about, right? Like, let let that four or five seed get into the finals and win the whole thing. I don't, I'm sick of Duke and Carolina and Kansas and well, Michigan well. State. Like, come on, come on, Florida Atlantic, let's go. I think we can agree on being sick of Duke, but um, I, I also think that a bunch of four fives and a nine sounds like my best years of dating. Uh, <laughs> Chuck. Whoa. How'd you get a, wait a minute. I want to talk about this nine. <laughs> Who's the nine? I think the nine is Tammy. I, oh, okay. Got to be good save. Good save. <laughs> Too many upsets is not a good thing for this tournament. If you want them, you want them in the first weekend. And then you want that one Cinderella that's going to run through the Sweet 16, maybe make it to the Elite Eight, and possibly be that five-plus seed that's in the Final Four that everybody can attach themselves to and go, oh, man, anybody can win this thing, and then watch them get absolutely f***ing smashed in the Final Four. <laughs> yeah, uh, There's a reason people love to hate the Yankees, but still watch them, or the Dodgers, or the Cowboys. You're talking about pedigree here, and there's none of that left in this tournament, which kind of tells you where college basketball is at this point. Like, it's cool. I'll watch it casually, but I wasn't super attentive to the games today. Like, the only reason I watched Texas was because I had a shot to win this tournament. Ultimately, you need those massive schools there for casual fan or for people like, you know, like people who just, oh, man, I like UNC. I'm going to watch them. I don't know many people like, oh man, I got to watch Florida Atlantic because they really <laughs> slow down the pace of the game and play dynamite f-ing defense. Yeah. Are you kidding? That looked like a first round playing game today. You know, like when the final score isn't near 60, that's enough for me to go, well, shit, maybe I should do some laundry. So yeah, too many upsets is not a good thing for this tournament. I'm squarely on Chuck's side of this as well. I think you want the few in the first weekend to make it entertaining. Maybe one team makes a run. But I want my final four to be the four best teams in the country, those blue blood programs that are just awesome. It's not what we got this year. And I think you're right. We, Phil may be on to something that as this goes forward, we're going to see more tournaments like this one than we have 
the tournaments we kind of grew up watching when we were a little bit younger. So let's move on to our bet stamp bet of the week, and let's do next weekend's NCAA Final Four. First game is Florida Atlantic versus San Diego State. On the money line, who you taking? Florida Atlantic. If you jump on to bet stamp right now and look at the odds of Florida Atlantic winning this uh, Final Four game against San Diego State, your low-end odds are plus 105. Barstool would be your best place to go and lay your bet, but it ain't best by much. It's only plus 116 uh, for Florida Atlantic to win it. Phil, how about you? San Diego State? Yeah, just because I want to <laughs> hear the other side of it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like I, I, like the, I like the Florida Atlantic odds, I guess, but let's hear about San Diego State. Let's go that route. Thank you for playing along. I appreciate <laughs> yeah. it. All right, so if you hop on to BetStamp and look at the odds for San Diego State to win this game, uh, your low end is minus 137. And the best odds you can get at BetMGM is minus 125. Not great money on SDSU, I suppose, but weird, weird numbers, right? Like a 116 and a 137. Those are weird numbers to see in odds. How about the other game, UConn versus Miami? Let's see what the U has to give me. Hop on to BetStamp. Take a look at your odds for UConn winning their game next weekend. Minus 250 is your low end. Minus 215 is the high end on FanDuel. So you kind of by the, pretty by big the U, favorite. I Miami, but I, all right. Uh, well, oh. Now we have that, those odds. <laughs> <laughs> it is the U. <laughs> yeah. Yep. It's weird. I don't think about it that way in football or in, yeah, in right. basketball, the way you right. think about no. it in football. That's really right. strange. Yeah. So, all right. I like the U. So, all right. All right. We got UConn odds. Maybe Chuck will pick Miami. Who knows? Yeah. Chuck. What do you say? I would love to hear Miami, mostly because my wife falls in love with cute old men, and she mentioned their coach is a cute old man, so I would back her bet there. So let me hear about the you. Uh, if Whitney wanted to put some money on an old man crush, her low odds for the you next weekend are plus 185. Best mm-hmm. odds on Barstool again, plus 205 for the wow. U to take that game. I like so, that. Yeah. yeah, not not bad ad. Go check out BetStamp. Go find your favorite sports betting app and make some bets. Don't bet the final four without BetStamp, the premier spot to shop all the lines and odds available to make sure you get an edge, get the best numbers, get the best odds, get the best with BetStamp. And, fellas, that is going to be it for Talking Hoops tonight. Why don't we take our first break? We'll come back, head out on the diamond. Welcome back, fellas, to our second segment. We'll head out on the diamond, and let's talk some ball. You guys remember when the Browns played at Municipal Stadium and you could still see the infield diamond for the first few games of the year? Hell yeah. 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 Welcome to 24 Shades of Brown, our 24-week preview of the Browns season. (laughs) During this past week, the Browns signed our age-adjacent wide receiver Marquise Goodwin. They re-signed Anthony Walker to a one-year deal. They traded for Elijah Moore who in 2021 had 43 catches for 538 yards. In 22, he had 37 catches for 446 yards. So you get 30 seconds of sports talking. What do you think of these moves? I'm a fan of bringing Walker back. He seemed like a perfect guy for that defense, and we need linebackers all the time. I don't mind the trade. I I think this guy is – a dependable slot receiver who maybe needed 
a fresh start somewhere else, but he also makes peanuts in the NFL. He's like 1.3 and 1.7 million. The other guy, I guess, is a speed dude. So again, uh, I'm, I'm probably getting close to 22 seconds here. I'm just going to say, hey, I'll I'll reserve my judgment till about three to four weeks into the season, not preseason or anything like that. Okay. That's it. You're yeah. done. <laughs> Phil, 30 you seconds. 30 seconds. Go. How the hell am I going to do that? I'm already wasting time. Um, all right. The, the, the moves are fine. Everything is fine. Like you said last week, everything is fine. <laughs> I like Walker coming back on the defense. That's a captain kind of guy in the linebacker position. We're just stockpiling wide receivers. If one of those dudes pans out, it helps lengthen the lineup, so to speak, you know, like whatever. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. Talk to me in week four of the season. Everything seems fine right now. That's nice. Phil actually came in under his 30 seconds, but he stole my line because that's exactly what I was going to say. <laughs> this is all fine. This all seems really smart. I think the trade seemed really smart. I thought they got great value. I don't know how you guys are going to want to start covering day three of the NFL draft when the Browns finally have a pick <laughs> whenever that comes up. But uh, for now, everything is fine. Why don't we move on and really hit the diamond, talk some baseball, and we will start with something that ended. The World Baseball Classic wrapped up last week. Japan wins the World War II rematch over the U.S. 3-2. <laughs> <three to two. laughs> The final game ends with Shohei Otani striking out Mike Trout. Was that the most important Trout at bat we are ever going to see? It shouldn't be, but I'm going to say yes, because we actually saw it. Like, why aren't we seeing more Mike Trout at bats? I loved it. It was phenomenal. Uh, but yeah, because I, I, we're not going to see Mike Trout until he leaves the Angels. We're not going to see Mike Trout bats of any consequence on national TV. I sure hope not. That guy is a... To borrow off Taylor Swift here, that dude's a generational talent, man. Like he is a phenomenal baseball player, but probably like, that might be because uh, he, if he finishes his career there, but I, I hope he gets a bigger stage. Uh, Otani is an absolute stud uh, and he kind of overshine there, which he should, because he's probably a better player all around because Mike Trout can't pitch, but Mike Trout should be on a higher stage, man. Uh, and, and watch that dude work. So uh, I hope not, but it was, it was awesome to watch. Like, I actually had was like almost pacing the room watching that last at bat, wow. which I, I was invested and in. I didn't think I would be invested, yeah. but I got I was. Me and Phil were because we were texting yeah, we were. We were the three texting. of us and yeah. we were obviously asleep. <laughs> yeah, I'd gone to bed way before that because I was not that invested, I guess. But it's sad. Like Mike Trout is almost like a Mickey Mantle type talent level. And we're never going to see him play in like a World Series or something like that. We'll never get to see him take big at bats at the end of like an ALCS or something. And I think by the time his contract is done, when he moves on to someplace else, he's probably going to be, you know, like on the edge of being washed. And so even if he gets to a team that can get him into those games, he might not be as good. Sucks. All right. Over under value on Otani's next deal. Half a billion. Over. I'm not even hesitating <laughs> over. Yeah. Over. It's wild, right? I mean, it, would you, would you blink an eye at a 10 year, 50 mil a year deal for Otani from like the Yankees or the Dodgers next year? Nope. Unreal. Uh, and, and deserved. I think the guy is a stud. He looked like a stud throughout the entire world baseball classic. Again, I hope we get to see him doing some meaningful things sometime soon because I don't think it'll be this season. Now that we've gotten that out of the way, why don't we 
dive into our final spring gardening segment, our weekly look at the Cleveland Guardians in spring training. Opening day is Thursday night. The 2023 season is finally here. Last year, there were so many question marks for the Guardians when the season started. No idea who the outfield was going to be. Didn't know what Jimenez would turn into. Knew that Class A was good, but probably didn't have any idea how good he was going to be. Not really sure about the rest of the bullpen. Not sure how an influx of rookies all season long was going to take shape. As we approach opening day this year, what questions still face the Guardians? I mean, I think we hit on a, a little bit last week. The, the back end of that starting rotation, can they produce? And why in God's name do we need three catchers on a opening day roster? But that's just small potatoes. It's really about the pitching because it's the calling card for this organization, always has been and probably will be. But can you get some real production out of those four and five guys? I think the questions going into this season are much less important, let's hope, you know, relative to last year. But as the season goes on, might become kind of linchpin type things in the in the lineup. I, so I think the questions are the catcher, that position, who kind of commands that position. If anyone if if they're all pretty equal defensively, can anyone hit 200? Can anyone in that position hit 200? Please, so that's God. one question. Yeah, say two hundred. <laughs> yeah, like that's a que- that's a that's a crazy question to have, but it's a question nonetheless. And then beyond that, kind of into at the end of the the batting order as well is what are we going to see out of Miles Straw this year? I think that's a big question. We know what we're going to get in the field. We're we're going to get solid, above solid, like excellent defensive play from that guy in center field. So assuming he stays healthy. What do we see out of that guy from the offensive side of the game? Because that that can really change the way this team looks and feels and plays. If they just keep him in that nine hole, but he's hitting like another leadoff hitter, that's a big deal. If he hits like he did last year, that's a two holes in a row catcher and that guy at the end of the lineup. So that's the biggest question in my mind. The question is, can the young guys do it again? Yeah. Can all of the good play that we got and all the contributions we got up and down the lineup, in the field, on the mound, can all those young guys come back and play at the same level or better? Which I don't think is a given, but I know that we're all we're all hoping that the Stephen Kwan we saw last year is the Stephen Kwan we will always see. And the Jimenez that we saw will be the same Jimenez year in and year out. We can count on J-Ram. I think we can count on Rosario. To, to play the way Rosario plays. Beyond that, you know, we're kind of crossing our fingers and hoping these guys are who we saw last year. So I think that's, to me, that's the biggest question is, can they continue to play like they did last year uh, and produce the way they did last year? And I think the pitching kind of works itself out at some point because they've, like Chuck said, it's the calling card of this organization for more than a decade now. But let's talk a little bit more on offense. They definitely added offense in the offseason with the Bell and Zanino signings. Last year, I think probably better than we thought. They were sixth in the AL in runs. They were fourth in batting average. They were 14th, which is second to last in home runs. So with the additions that they made, is this a top five? offense in the American league? Is it a top three 
offense in the American League? I don't know. Um, what what holds us back is home run production, and I don't know that you're going to see a huge jump in that. I mean, we're asking Bell. You would hope Bell gives you a little bit of a jump in that in that lineup, and maybe a guy like Gonzalez and and Naylor they stay healthy and they hit. But it's okay because this team is not built to hit the long ball a ton, and that's what I think you were alluding to, Gerbs. That we were kind of surprised by. All right, their runs scored and their batting average were much higher than we expected. That's how this team is still built. So I don't think it takes a ton of home runs. So maybe they don't end up in the top five offense, but if they're if they're in the upper half of the American League in in all categories, given their pitching, that might be all it takes. Yeah, I don't, I don't think they sniff the top five, but what you saw last year is what, what they're going to do this year. They're never going to compete with a Yankee lineup where one through nine hits 20 plus home runs. And that's okay. They're playing like, however, we've, we're playing baseball the right way or whatever, whatever. They're just basically bucking the system, what major league baseball is doing. If they continue to produce that way and it's a pleasant surprise, like it was last year, that's what it was this year. We're expecting it. That's the trap, right? And, and you've already kind of alluded to that. Well, these young guys continue to do that. If, if they're a top 12, I think that bodes well for them winning the division, but no, I don't think they get near the top five. You guys are cowards. Come on. (laughs) There's a possibility that they have, what, four guys that hit 20 home runs this year? J-Ram, Bell, Naylor, Zanino maybe, maybe not. Gonzalez, Jimenez is a guy that could hit 20 home runs. I mean, that's you're looking at a lineup that I think definitely has more power and more protection than the lineup had last year. And so I actually think this offense with the new rules too, you know, with, without there being a shift, how many more hits is Steve Kwan getting without a shift in place? You know, how many more base hits between the second baseman and the first baseman is that guy knocking through? What about J Ram? I mean, that guy like J Ram, right? Switch hitter that the shift, they just shifted everyone to one side of the field. There are opportunities to score more runs there. And they, they weren't far from, a top five offense last year anyway. I think there's real potential there for them to put up runs this year. Everybody's got to stay healthy and everybody's got to play to expectations. Um, But if they do, I I think it's a top 10, top five offense to me for sure. Moving on from that disagreement, uh, (laughs) let's talk about some more of the new guys, the young guys that are going to get added. So Gabriel Arias is making the opening day roster as an infielder will brennan will make the opening day roster as the fourth outfielder hunter gaddis will make it in the bullpen he's a six foot six right-hander already has the best hair on the team (laughs) which of those three guys do you think is going to have the biggest potential impact this season i can't explain it but i have a jared allen like crush on hunter gaddis this guy yeah yeah, yeah, like it's 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 our it's like Chris Stapleton takes the mound, right? He's going to play the <laughs> the national anthem and then go out there and throw the ball. Uh, the the guy looks like what you want that 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 guy coming out of the bullpen to look like: long hair, huge beard, six foot seven, and he you know he, he's I think he led the team in strikeouts in spring in spring training. So yeah. I'm I'm hoping that guy. Imagine if that guy ekes into the starting five because of his talent and his ceiling, right? That would really solidify this team. So I'm, I'm going with Hunter Gaddis. I, I like the other guys, but I want to see Hunter Gaddis have a great season. 
kind of with Phil here, but I got to go the other way because, you know, we need yeah. to talk about something else. <laughs> Let me say Brennan, because injuries or straw happens again. Like if, if he has another season where he's hitting below 200 or he's not doing what he's supposed to be doing, which I don't think is going to be the case. I think that guy bounces back. Uh, it'll be nice to have somebody as a fourth outfielder who can plug into a starting lineup. So I think he probably has the most potential there if it if it looks like it did last year uh, with Straw, which I don't think. But again, for argument's sake, that's where I'm going. I think you're right. You don't know if Oscar Gonzalez is going to produce the way he did last year or better. You don't know what you're getting from Straw. And so Brendan is really hit in the minors, and, and that might be what you need. He's a I haven't read anything that says he's a terrible outfielder either, you know? So, I mean, I think you're not necessarily going to give up a ton on defense, although I'm sure he's not as good as, as straw is. Um, But I think he's the one that has the biggest chance to make an impact because we may need him to fill one of those spots. If those guys don't perform, I think Brennan's the right call. Denko, you kind of stole my thunder a little bit on this one. Who's going to be your Jarrett Allen? your crush on the guardians for the season a lot of great options but i'm hoping it's i'm gonna hope it's bell because we've wanted a dude who's gonna hit for power and play solid at first and strengthen the lineup i want it to be that guy i want him to be my crush because he should crush balls all year long see what i did there it's pretty lame it's a pretty lame tie-in but uh you know you brought a guy in to do a job you want to hope he does that job. We haven't had a guy like that, uh, that you paid an exorbitant amount of money. I want him to be my crush. I don't know if he, yeah, I don't know if he will be, but he's my favorite candidate as of uh, 326 at 11 o'clock at night. <laughs> well, of, of the new, of the new guys, I want with Hunter Gannis, but of the whole roster, I want, I want my crush to be Jimenez. I think like, I want to see that guy. He was already an all-star last year. He is a phenomenal talent. I want to see him kind of take that next step. And can you, can you hit 310, you, you know, uh, from somewhere in that, maybe that three hole or whatever it is and, and see kind of like we talked about last week where this is maybe our shortstop of the future and maybe the face of our infield of the future. So I want him to be my crush this year. I think that's the guy I want to see make that next step. I'm going to go with Josh Naylor. I'm really hoping that like another year away from that injury, like he's healthier and plays better, hits more. And he, I think he had a good year last year. It's not like he didn't have a good year. So, I mean, I'm really looking to forward to see some improvement, but I love the attitude, man. I don't know if you guys remember in high school, how much I yelled during games, but I just love like a, an emotional baseball player, man, a guy who goes a little bit nuts and yells and screams and fires everybody up. I'm I'm going with Josh Naylor as my Jared Allen crush for the season. So different question. Who do you think is going to be the most valuable player for the Guardians this year? Tristan McKenzie. Emmanuel Classe. Tristan Classe. Emmanuel <laughs> McKenzie. Uh somewhere between those two guys are gonna make the biggest difference in wins and losses as this season goes on. Yeah, and I was gonna I was gonna say McKenzie. I, I took two. I'm... You could take one of them. Nah, nah, nah. You want him to make that leap where we talked about this, that he he's becoming your ace. Um, but you know, maybe I should just go with who, who it's been probably for the past few years and say Tito Francona. Like he, oh, he's always man. been rock solid for this team. He knows how to manage young guys. 
Uh, he's overachieved with this organization for however long he's been here. Uh, and hopefully he stays healthy. We talk about players staying healthy. Let's yep. let him stay healthy and, and be behind the bench uh, all season long. I'm going kind of the same long-term historical direction that Chuck is, but I'm going with Jay Ram. I think with some more bats in the lineup to protect him, he may have uh, a bigger season this year, plus the shift stuff. And, you know, he has been the guy for this team for a long time now. Uh, And I think he's got a few more years in him where he is going to continue to be the man. And so I think he's the guy that makes the biggest difference for them uh, throughout the course of the season. He's going to be the MVP, I think. Wrap it up. Last one. Are the guards making the playoffs this year? You may recall I asked this question last year, and only one of us said yes. So? Yes, I think they are making it. Yes, sir. They're making it. Absolutely. Guards making the playoffs this year. I'm I'm so excited for this season. This is going to be fantastic. I think they're going to win a lot of baseball games, and I'm going to be really disappointed if they don't. So, <laughs> But why don't we wrap up our talk on the diamond we'll take our final break we're going to head off the field and things are going to go downhill (laughs) welcome back fellas to our final segment we'll head off the field and it is time to talk succession season four the final season premieres tonight as we're recording the show debuted in june of 2018 and averaged 5 million viewers an episode until last season when it jumped to 7 million in the critically acclaimed third season. The show also won Emmys in 2020 and 2022 for Outstanding Drama. It's won a slew of other awards, too, from Golden Globes to SAG Awards, individual actor awards, and stuff like that for people on the show over the last five years. The plot of the show surrounds the story of the fictional media company Waystar Royco, its founder Logan Roy, his adult kids, and all the people vying to take control of the company. But what do you think the show is really about? There is no such thing as loyalty or family or anything that we experience in our day-to-day with our family, with our friends, with our network of people. There's no such thing as that when you get into the billionaires, like that doesn't exist. It's all competition. It's all about, I have to be right. I have to win everything. Even if it means absolutely stomping on the necks of your own children, it's the worst. That's what I think the show is about. (laughs) And I love it. It's a great show, but it's wow. It's just, it's awful. I think it's magnified about a thousand percent, maybe more to everyday life, but the show's, in my opinion, truly about family dynamics. That's it. You're gonna, you don't want to go any further? No. All right. Like the sit there. Let's sit on that. Yeah. You're not wrong. <laughs> I think it's about power. Every step of the way, it is about every one of these characters trying to grab announce more of power trying to make sure they don't lose power uh it's it's logan believing that that's the most important thing in the world family doesn't matter like his kids in the end don't matter it's the power it's the ability to do what you want and make others do what you want and i I think that's what the whole show is about it's written masterfully for doing that to watch all of these people play their little games when they all know they're playing the game, all trying to just get a little bit more, 
you know, get a little bit closer to that seat and him tr- like Logan trying to hold on to it. Uh, that's what I think it's, it's really about. One of the defining relationships of this show is the weirdly effective, but really uncomfortable relationship between Roman Roy, the youngest Roy kid and Waystar general counsel, Ms. Jerry Kelman. So which of these is the best thing Roman said to Jerry during the entire first three seasons of the show? First one, you know how you're good at your job, but also sort of like invisible, like wallpaper, like a boring old sort of nothing, like a competent kind of clever filing cabinet that everyone seems content to have around. Next one, I land the deal. I kill Kendall. I'm crowned king, just like in Hamlet. If that happened in Hamlet, I don't care. Late in the third season, when Jerry asks him to stop sending her dick pics, he responds, don't open Pandora's box. There's just more dicks in there. (laughs) And last one, he tells her, we should get married. But not that, an equivalent, like I abduct you and force you to live with me. Which of those lines is your favorite Roman to Jerry line? Uh, it's It's the first one because of his entitlement and not really having to work for it. It seems like it doesn't matter who you are. If you're not part of that family, you're inconsequential wallpaper <laughs> or a filing cabinet. They just got it in the background. Like clever, you, you, clever you serve, filing cabinet. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> you serve some sort of purpose, but it's not all that important. So that's, that's probably my favorite one when it comes to their interactions. I don't know if I can pick a favorite. I think that the best line is the first one, as Chuck mentioned, because of, it actually has some depth to it. <laughs> but um, all of all four of those, it's it's just what's crazy about it is is the relationship there, as you mentioned. Like Jerry is an enabler here; she absolutely enables Romans, whatever this is. Yeah, and and I would imagine at some level that's because she realizes, like, all right, I got it, I got to do this, or I'm I'm out, I'm out, you know. Um, Maybe there's some more to it. I, I don't know. Uh, it, the the weird sexual tension, the we, all that. It's it's it it kind of it's kind of House of the Dragons foot fetishy kind of thing. Like ooh, yeah. like that's uncomfortable. Yeah. That's for you, Shantz. <laughs> um, the uh, you know it's, you know I I don't know. Like but but of all the lines, the first one I think really really gives you a, a better depiction of what Roman's opinion of Jerry is. You're replaceable as wallpaper you're a filing cabinet plus basically that's the best one i think i i absolutely think like she enables him but for her own like everything else it's for her own benefit and you see in that last episode you know at the at the very end when he's like hey can't you do something about this she's like how does it serve my interests that that's jerry and everybody else frankly all along but I think she is buddied up with Roman in this weird way uh, because she knows that's the best place for her to be, to keep her power and keep her position. Uh, I think it's the Hamlet one. I just think that's so funny. He's like, just like in Hamlet, if that happened, I don't care. You know, like like this pseudo intellectual uh, of all of these people. He's like, maybe this happened in Hamlet. Maybe not. It sounds good. Moving on. How about we take a look at the entire HBO universe, most cold-blooded leader, your options, Cersei Lannister from Game of Thrones. Next one, Tony Soprano, obviously from the Sopranos. 
Next one, this is a hard choice, but Marlo Stanfield from The Wire. And last one, of course, Logan Roy from Succession. So who's the most cold-blooded leader HBO has come up with? From a cold-bloodedness perspective, I'm, I'm torn between Logan Roy and Cersei Lannister. I don't know much about the guy you mentioned in The Wire, so that's unfair, I guess, to comment on. But Tony Soprano, I, I don't know that I would call him cold-blooded. Like I, I feel like he kind of wavered between you, you know family guy and this mob leader, right? Like he had to be cold-blooded at times. But Logan Roy, man, I'm trying to think. Like, Has there ever been a moment in this series where you felt like he was doing something out of love or compassion, even if he said he was? where in fact he was. I don't think so. I don't think so. Like it was all cold bloodedness and, and Cersei Lannister. I don't know. The only one she really loved her was her own brother. So I, I don't, I'm, I'm going to give it to Logan. Cause I, I just feel like where this is going is he's just stomping out his own children where at least, at least Cersei Lannister tried to protect her own children. Sort of. I think it was Soprano, but I haven't seen full season four yet. So if he tries to kill any of his family. Like Tony actually did kill his nephew. Spoiler alert. 10 plus years ago. <laughs> I think it's longer than that. <laughs> Is it 20 years plus ago? years ago. Yeah. Watch the Sopranos. If you haven't, um, I'm going to go with him because there's a lot of similarities between all the characters you're saying here. Uh, but Tony gave the illusion that, that it was about family, not only his, but the mafia, uh, but still, much like Logan, it was, it was truly about the power in staying in control. And no matter who got in his way or threatened that, uh, it was dealt with. I don't, I don't know if Logan's going to kill off anybody in the family. I doubt it. <laughs> but, but I'm going to stick with, with Tony here as, as the most diabolical character that we all rooted for. It's hilarious that this can be a show about essentially a, a billionaire and his media empire. And he can be so easily compared to Cersei Lannister who <laughs> blew up the sept of Baylor you know? and Soprano who, you know, pretty comfortable taking lives when it served his interests. Uh, same with Marlo Stanfield. If you haven't watched the wire, it holds up. It's still really good. Marlo Stanfield is the drug dealer. Who's kind of the focus of the last two seasons. Uh, he was, he was a badass. I think I'm going with Cersei. Uh, she was pretty cold-blooded, man. Like she did, she loved her kids, uh, and she loved Jamie. And I don't think there was much else that she loved, man. She was really willing to um, destroy people, literally and figuratively, to get what she wanted. And Logan's really, really bad. Don't get me wrong. Logan is is a seriously bad dude, but um, maybe not as bad as Cersei was. All right, how about assess the worst relationship in the show? Is it Siobhan Roy and her boyfriend, then husband, Tom? Is it Roman and his first girlfriend from season one? <laughs> Is it all of the kids and their mom who gets married at the end of season three? Or is it all of their kids and Logan, which is the worst relationship in the show? I might go with, with Shiv and Tom because it's a relationship of, of convenience but there's not a whole lot of love there, and there's a whole lot of backstabbing there and placing one in front of the other. I'd like to watch that relationship, knowing both of them, knowing how awful the other is, but they act like everything's just fine. 
which might be worse than what Logan's doing to his children or his children are trying to do with Logan, because at least it's out in the open where this is just so backhanded. Uh, that that's, yeah, that one's disgustingly ugly. Uh, and it came, if you haven't seen the end of last season, again, just pawns moving and pieces moving for power, but that one, uh, I like the, I don't know what the right word here is, how that that relationship has blossomed uh, to be really just as terrible as everything else on the show. There's no wrong answer, I think, in this group. Like, these are all just awful, awful relationships, right? Like, they're they're terrible. The Tom and Siobhan is interesting because there was a bit of, like, sexual role play going on in some of the seasons where they would kind of, one would dominate the other, but but pretty much explain a very obvious truth about the other person in terms yeah. of their opinion to that. and they're like oh there was a moment like whoa wait a minute like what's happening right now they 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 truly don't even like each other but yeah when Siobhan when Siobhan tells him yeah, you're yeah. not good enough for me you're not good enough for me yeah. it was part I think of we all know plan, she means yeah. it yeah. she you meant know? that and I think Tom <laughs> realized that too and I think yeah. again I don't want to give too much away but you saw what's happening going into from season three to season four at least what they want you to to believe where Tom's carrying around some resentment, I think, and uh, perhaps Just acting on it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so that is an awful relationship. But I got to tell you, relationships between boyfriends and girlfriends, husband and wives, they don't always work out. They don't. And that's okay. I can't imagine, like, a parent to a child, that's crazy to me. So I don't know, like, between Logan and their mom, like, th- those are the worst parents I could ever imagine. Yeah. From just a an unconditional love, these are my children type thing. So I'm going to give it a tie to Logan and the newly remarried <laughs> Mrs. Logan. <laughs> yeah, whatever her name is. I don't even yeah, know. Right. Yeah. As much as the Shiv and Tom one is, is at the top of the list because she is so terrible to him from the beginning. On their wedding night, tells him that she wants to have an open relationship. There's an episode where she gets like frustrated with him because he's still so afraid of going to jail. And she's just like, just, can we just stop talking about it? And like, I got other things to, to think about. And just like, oh, you asshole. This guy's <laughs> about to go to jail for your dad's company. And like, you've, you know, like you don't have any patience for him anymore. That's pretty terrible. I think based entirely on the end of season three, it's the kids and their mom. What a gut punch to have your mom essentially completely sell you out for an apartment. Uh, and that's what happens at the end of season three. That's just got to be just gut wrenching for these kids who don't know what unconditional love is because this is what they've grown up with. And they keep hoping for it, keep hoping they're going to see it and they're going to find it. And they keep getting disappointed in just the most awful f-ing ways. Uh, so I say kids and their mom, there's but you're right. There's we could have this could have gone on. There's a lot of bad relationships in this show. We didn't mention Kendall and his kids. That's a good one. Moving on. If you had to compare him to a character, which Roy is Jimmy Haslam? I think Jimmy Haslam wants to be Kendall, but he's not. He's more like Connor. <laughs> um, like Connor. <laughs> he's just a bumbling, like you don't even do you even know what you're saying or doing right now? So I'm gonna lean towards Connor Roy same it's it's connor who is in a power position of prestige and power you don't know how he got there he doesn't deserve it yet he thinks he's smarter than everyone in the room and he is not 
we should be friends because as soon as I wrote this, I thought, Oh, he's Connor. He's Connor for exactly what you're saying. Like he, he kind of looks the part that you want him to play and like to, to fill that position, but there's just nothing there and he can't do the job, um, but he doesn't know that he can't do the job. And that's the most dangerous person yeah. you could ever have in the job. Uh, so I'm with you guys. I think if Jimmy Haslam was anybody, he'd be Connor. All right. Look back at season one through three. Who is your most improved player on the show? Who got better at the game, not became a better person because nobody becomes a better person in this show, but who got better at the game from season one to three? Um, without kind of, I guess, giving it away, you know, like he was low level, maybe a patsy. They're putting him out front to take the bullet for the family, but he ups his position of power uh, by selling out everyone else. Uh, and I don't think that'll bode well for him this season. Uh, again, he's just a pawn. Uh, he, he's not blood. But yeah, uh, for, for a guy who, who made the leap from bench warmer to seeing the starting infield, that that's Tom, man. I don't think anyone made the, the same improvement as, as Tom much, on a much lower scale but an improvement nonetheless like maybe greg <laughs> yeah you know like greg. here's yeah here's absolutely. here's greg yeah, yeah. and, and it's kind of like the greg and tom relationship right like they're they're kind of moving together and we'll see what that turns into as well but i feel like greg was greg was forced by his mom into like hey you're part of this family go see if you can't make us some money kind of thing and he had no clue and he was just bumbling stumbling and he kind of still is but now he's he's kind of in the mix you know uh so Tom or Greg, uh, I'll, I'll go for Greg just because it's uh, potentially a, even a bigger escalation, I guess. Don't sleep on Greg. He's got a shot to be married to the woman who's like eighth in line for like the vacated throne of Italy or whatever that was. <laughs> that's that's going to be a prince, the prince <laughs> of Italy. <laughs> I would say Roman. Roman was such a dipshit in the first season and such a clown. Again, if you rewatch that third season, he really is a part of a lot of like the big moves that go the right way for the company. Like he really does kind of start stepping up and becoming a competent voice in, in what the company is doing. So I, I actually think he he matured and grew and uh, I, I think was the most improved during that time. All right. I would assume the question of succession is answered. So come to the end of season four of succession. Who is running Waystar Royco? Uh, Matson. <laughs> oh, all right. <laughs> yeah. the, the dude from what? Gojo, Waystar, whatever. Gojo, that whole yeah. relationship. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I just have the I don't know, Elon like the, Musk type character, exactly. right? Is like, that I, fair? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I could be wrong. I mean, there's a lot of episodes coming, right? I think it's like eight to 10 episodes this season and it's 10 who knows the twists and turns that we're about to, to see, but I just don't feel like unless Logan Roy dies, I don't feel like the next generation is taking over this company. As long as he's alive. I think the dark horse is Logan's brother. He hates him oh. so much, <laughs> yeah. but he has the capital to make a move here. And I think it's been kind of waiting in the wings, like him to be more involved because uh, they haven't really explored that relationship other than their hatred for each other. But but at the end of the day, I still think it's Logan. He built the f***er, man. And it's surprising, right? It's at a much different level. 
but I know these people that act like this, that put everything in anyone out of the way, except for that company. That's it. Uh, it doesn't matter. They are a unique breed, man. But these people exist that can turn off any form of compassion or love for children or family or whoever, doesn't matter. Uh, all it's about is what they built and to continue to build upon that. And anybody who gets in the way gets crushed. I think it's him. It, it, it would be the most satisfying ending for me because you can't give it to any of your f***ed up children who couldn't take it from you. Uh, and he dare, he's dared them for three seasons and they still can't do it. He's always ahead of yeah. them. So I see him sitting at the, uh, still sitting behind his desk or at a boardroom at the, at the head of the table. It should be him. I may disappointed, be disappointed if it's not. I actually don't think that that Gojo deal goes through. This guy strikes me as Logan strikes me as a guy who makes that deal and then because he needs to at the time, but finds a way out of it later. I have known people like that. I've represented people like that. It's frustrating as hell. So I don't think that deal's going through. So I don't think it's Madsen. I feel like this show's almost a bit of a cop out if it's Logan at the end. Um, it's Name of show ever, right? <laughs> yeah, right. Like, yeah, yeah. yeah it's still yeah. him. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I think I lean towards my most improved player. I think I lean towards Roman. I don't think Kendall just doesn't have the guts for it. I don't think Logan intends on like handing it over to Shiv. Whatever happens with her and Tom next season probably takes her out of the running. And I think it's like Roman left at the end. We'll see. Probably, I got to feel like it's somebody in the family or it's Logan still. Probably is the most likely outcome. But I'm going to put my money on Roman. But geez, I feel like we need to wash the feeling of succession off of us. (laughs) So why don't we talk a little Ted Lasso. Last week during a break, we discussed how strange it was in the first episode where Ted was talking about how he didn't feel like he should still be coaching the team. Like it didn't make sense. And we know we kind of talked about it. None of us could figure out why he would feel that way. This week's episode, I think definitely was summed up with the line. I would rather quit than be fired. I think that's what was going on with Roy when he left Chelsea. I think it's the same thing going on with why he broke up with Keeley. So I would rather quit than be fired. Is that the answer to our first episode question? Trying to remember Ted's face when he said it. It's a good answer. I don't know if it's the right one. I don't want to sit on a fence, though. I, it's 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 hard because there's such a difference between episode one and episode two to me now. Like This is where this show should be. This was a fantastic yeah. episode all around. Every character was developed I love that they brought Trent back. I thought I'd never see that dude again, but oh, he's going to be in the thick of it. No, I don't think Ted's that dude. I don't think he quits in anything. Uh, I don't think he wants to quit on his marriage or any relationship. I, I think there's some sort of, there, there's something there too with with Nate that, that'll happen with them kind of reconciling. I don't think that's him at all. That's not his character at all. So I don't think that's the answer. I'll go back to the end of the uh, the previous season. I, I agree. I don't think it's the answer either because of his... His conversation with the doc about his dad and his biggest comment was that his dad quit. You know, he came around to talking about things he loved about his dad and that he was a good dad, but he quit. And you could tell like that is the really the foundation of a lot of Ted's issues and 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 just the, the fight he has within himself 
So I can't imagine, given the way things are going right now and and what he's turned into with this with this Richmond soccer club, that he's going to quit at any time. I just don't see that happening. You guys are both 100% right. And now I'm going to tell you why you're both 100% wrong. <laughs> oh, okay. Because I think that is, I think that's the tension. He would never quit. I think the reason why he would say like, hey, what are we doing here now after the team gets promoted back into the Premier League is that he's afraid of not being able to cut it and he's afraid of being fired. And so he's talking, he's got this feeling like we should just go because we don't belong here anymore. Air quotes for everybody who's listening. <laughs> when when really what it is is like he's afraid of not being able to get the job done and he's afraid of getting fired. And so there's the conflict. Is a guy who never wants to quit something afraid that he should because he doesn't want to face the embarrassment of of failing and getting fired now that he's gotten the team promoted. We'll see. The show is off and running. That was a great episode. I'm looking forward already to number three. But for right now, fellas, we are out of time. I am out of questions. And we just did the whole show without mentioning the absolutely great news that last week Springsteen came out with a new album. But it was by someone named Alana Springsteen, not Bruce. So with that news that, hey, any new Springsteen is better than no Springsteen. <laughs> so go check out 20-something messing it up by the other Springsteen. <laughs> and I hope you guys have a great week. And let's get together and do this again real soon. Absolutely. <laughs>
sports movie or show, like which yeah. actor portrayed an athlete, like wh- yeah. who was the most believable? Yeah. Cause there's been who plenty is, of who is the best and who is the worst. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. yeah it's, that's, it's, that I, good. I, I feel like I'll see, I mean, they're going to, they're going to show more and more soccer, but the soccer is just not yeah. at all. Yeah. Secondary. What matters. Yeah. Yep. Although, you know, I get, we'll get to it. Zava, Zava joining the squad. <laughs> Who knows? Zava. Zava. Yeah. That was good. That was, uh, that, that was, was hilarious. Like every time Coach Beard yelled, like the high screech yell. Yeah, that was awesome. Yeah. <laughs> it was either Zava <laughs> or when, when, when yeah. Roy and Keeley broke up. <laughs> Ted yeah. almost passes out. Yeah, Ted Perfect. passes out. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> How about when, uh, Jamie was trying to give him a hug in the one of the room. When, yeah, that, he's like, that you came exchange. at me too fast. <laughs> it's hilarious. He's like, man, he's like, he's like, I know people like old people from the war are a little touchy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that whole exchange was fantastic. I have not been paying that much attention to the other teams in the NBA and Dallas is just in a free fall. And now Luka Doncic and Ky- like what Kyrie is just poison. Is that what it come down to? <laughs> it only works with him and LeBron. And if they right. would have got their shit together, man. Oh, I know. Right. We, like that- probably would have had a few more banners is my guess. Yeah. The I thought the Mavericks they're going in the op. I thought yeah. that that team was going to be a top four in the West, you know? Yeah. Nope. Yeah. They and might not even what, make the playoffs now. <laughs> playoffs. How, how playoffs? <laughs> <laughs> how bad is that trade? How yeah. fucking terrible is that trade that you gave? Because he's gone, give right? Up, like you would think. He's a free agent at the end of this yeah. year, and you gave up like at least two first round picks, I think, and players. Um, mm. and you're mm. not even going to make the playoffs. Like yeah, man, that's that's up. awful. Um, yeah, well, at least like Durant really was bad. Durant went to a team that was in the playoffs anyway, and if he comes and back, he's still under contract. Yeah, yeah you still yeah, got yeah, him. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you've actually got a team that that dude would stick around and play for. I think there's a right, lot of good, right, yeah. a lot of good parts there. But and he's not Kyrie, too. Like that's a pretty big part of it. Is yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. He's not a cancer. I'll wear right back because I know you want to make it to midnight. I'll be right back. So where does he go? Like who? He might end up on the Lakers, man. Like that's it, right? Like, like does LeBron yeah. say, hey, come on, let's come on. All right. Like, yeah. you you were wrong. Let's do this again. And yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, I, I love to see when they clinched, the Cavs clinched today. Uh, you know, obviously the first time they've been in the playoffs without LeBron James since LeBron James has existed in the what NBA. Was I want to look up that roster. What did we say 98? Yeah, 98, 98 was the last yeah. time they made the playoffs without LeBron James. Derek uh, Anderson. That, ooh, Derek Anderson out of Kentucky and Ohio State. Yep. Scott Brooks, Tony Dumas, Danny Ferry, Z, Sean Kemp, Brevin Knight, Wesley Pearson, Natalie Potapenko. Bobby Sura, everybody else, I have no idea who they were. <laughs> so that that's the team I worked for for that couple weeks in Dayton, the season before yeah. that. I can't believe yeah. that roster made the playoffs. That was yeah. a Mike Fratello coach team. Like yeah, Fratello. Yeah. Yeah. 47 35. 
Now they won that, 47 that's games. That's not bad. Jeez. Yeah. I thought for sure it was going to be like 42 and 40, and they just snuck <laughs> yeah. in or something. Mm. Not sure. bad. All right, 1202. We did it. Well done. Yeah. Well Good done. Work. Another work, fun yeah. time. Oh, yeah. Um, it's going to be a long episode. Yeah. It's all right. Yeah. You'll have to get comfortable when you want to listen to it this week. Sure. All right. All right, boys. That's it for me. Right. I'm out of here. Good to see you. Have a good one, boys. Love, Love you guys. See you. What do you mean I'm funny? Funny like a clown? You didn't use you?